Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome back to the Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast. We enter tentatively the final week of the Six Nations. Will it be three wins for Scotland or will we have to settle for another two and a bit of a shootout for fifth place? Um, Alan, David and Matt back with you as ever to chew through the big win against Italy and look forward to the match against Ireland this weekend. We are also very, very lucky to be joined shortly on the line by former Scotland second row Tim Swinson. He's going to be joining us to give us his thoughts about Scotland so far in the Six Nations and help us look forward to the Ireland game. But before the big guest arrived, let's settle in with those familiar comfy jumpers of Alan and Matt. Alan, how did you enjoy the Italy game? I don't think I'd say I enjoyed it too much, but I also <laughs> didn't really hate it. I was more sort of ambivalent, I think, for sort of most of the the 80 minutes. And um, But no, obviously good to get the win, good to get the bonus point win, sort of your sort of minimum baseline, um, but obviously a bit a bit annoying at some of the kind of sloppiness, especially in defence in the, the back end of the match. Yeah, absolutely. And Matt, was it enjoyment for you or ambivalence, as Alan says? I quite like that. Scottish rugby ambivalence is quite a nice sort of like brand to adopt. Well, I think I was I had quite a good sort of balance going on between... It seemed whenever I looked up at the screen, Scotland were doing quite well and scoring a try. And then when I looked away, uh, I was treated to the sight of a quite hungover Alan trying to look after and probably failing quite badly, uh, his his young child. So I think I had sort of the best of both worlds. I seemed to get all the enjoyable bits of the action. I quite enjoyed that comment after you guys put out your tweet, uh, the the pod last week from a listener that was basically like, can't believe Alan's a dad. It's just like, you're really putting out some like wild vibes on the pod, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what? 
I'm, I'm kind of the same. Well, obviously, we're going to look back on the It's the Game a little bit more um, with Tim, but a uh, quick word for our sponsors, Match Pint. I know hundreds of you have been joining us on the league on the Match Pint app for the Pint Predictor, putting in your scores and predicting um, how it's going to go, winning yourself plenty of pints of Guinness as you go along. We're going to come back to that towards the tail end, do our predictions for the Ireland game. But thanks a lot, Matchpoint, for all the support throughout the Six Nations. And if you do not have the app already, get yourself onto the App Store, the Google Play Store, wherever you get your apps um, and download that. Um, and we are now lucky enough to be joined by Tim Swinson. All right. Well, we're delighted to be joined um, on the line uh, by uh, former Scotland international um, Tim Swinson. Tim, you're driving up to Scotland now. Are, you, is, are we breaking news now? Is this you joining up with the Scotland camp? No. Um, <laughs> I don't think there is a place for me in that camp. I'm a, a, a bit past it uh, for that stuff. But no, I'm hopeful to have watch a good game at the weekend. That'll be a good thing. Yeah, a- absolutely. And I suppose just starting off a bit generally, what, what have you made of Scotland this, um, this sort of Six Nations campaign? I mean... I think there's a lot of the fears. They started off incredibly well. I had a good performance against the England team who are, I, th- I think, in a state of flux, which are trying to find who they are again. Uh, there's a lot of change, a lot of spoken about of the players who have been left out of the squad from the 2019 World Cup final. Um, and there's a lot of younger players who play in a slightly different format coming into the squad. It's, that was certainly a good win. Um and I think there's been the obvious struggles since then of maybe not um, reacting to how other teams play as well. I think Wales did a great job of making the game against Scotland a scrappy game and not allowing Scotland to play the way they wanted to, um, which seems to be the way Wales play at the moment. is almost bring them down to their level and then just bludgeon out some sort of victory, which... I mean, it's working for them somehow. Um, uh, then I think if you speak about the French game, uh, I think France were almost mercurial uh, on that day. And while Scotland, I, I think, obviously can point to mistakes, I think France was very good. Um, then with Italy, I, as much as Italy could be a better team, there's some reason playing Italy in Rome the Italians always seem to think Scotland is their chance to win and they seem to be a different team. Um, but I think what has been echoed in the press by uh, Hoggy, and I think Greg is, is there's still mistakes which are things that need to get um, sort of ironed out. And it's those small margins which affect sort of the result, even though the performance can still be good. And I think that's still something that Scotland has tried to find. Obviously, looking forward to Ireland this weekend. I guess, look, how do, how do you think this Scotland team, with the kind of gifts and players that it has, how do you think they can go at this Ireland team? I think you've got to impose your game on Ireland. I think if you allow Ireland to play as Ireland they put, and not to pressurise them too much especially with someone like Johnny Sexton as the fly half you know they're difficult to stop they are 
difficult to slow down. They're difficult to play against. But when the they they aren't allowed to play with the time he sometimes has, but when you pressurise them in their attack and really pressurise them in defence, then they're like any team. That's where they start to make mistakes, and that's where you've got to capitalise on the mistakes by not making errors. So it's really imposing yourself on the game by being direct and being physically dominant, which will allow the backs play of Scotland of the modern era, which compared to 10 years ago, which was non-existent, to really flourish. And I think that's it's basically being aggressive, but then also capitalising on their mistakes by not making errors. And obviously, Scotland have struggled against Ireland, played more than most teams in the last sort of seven, eight years. From your perspective, what what is it that that Ireland have had the the edge in against Scotland over quite a long time period now? Uh, I think they're they're a good team. Um, I think that's shown by the quite high, the small number of teams they come from, so the, the four provinces, and the generally the quite strong groups that are from their clubs, but then also the most part they're a team that's been together a long time and so they have a structure they are very structured in the way they play and they've got someone who is very good at working that structure in in terms of Johnny Sexton and the other guys in the back line um, and so it's actually quite difficult to do what I've just mentioned by imposing yourself on them and to restrict their play because they've done it for so long that they know how to get around teams who pressurise them and I think that's when you compare it to other teams in the uh, Six Nations Ireland maybe have been more um, consistent at having that structure, having that organisation over the last 10 years that the other teams maybe have not as much how did you how did you find the Aviva and just Dublin generally when you as an away venue when you were a player? I mean, it was the first Six Nations game I played was at the Aviva. Um, the pitch is great. Uh, it it's a very nice pitch to play a running style of rugby on. Um, I think having played there in club games as well, the feeling when Ireland get on top it, they're almost willing them to go further and so it's that early imposing nature of the way you play I think really kind of help to almost quieten the crowd and start to make them look for other options rather than their sort of their DNA which is what I generally feel would be needed There's been a lot of talk I guess over the last um a few weeks about just that speed of ruck ball that Ireland yep. can get. I guess you know, we, we've obviously um, we had sort of Darge and Watson both playing, both kind of like quick to the break, break down, get turn turnovers or even sort of slow down the ball. Do you think they'll sort of go for sort of a similar setup or I guess how generally do you think Scotland can kind of slow down that Irish quick ball? Well, I think one of the uh, really key things that you've seen in the Scotland defence since Steve Tandy's taken over 
is they want to promote time in the tackle. And that time in the tackle, what that allows the defence to do is to set and make more dominant tackles sort of further on throughout the play. Um, and the real way to get speed of ball like Ireland do is not just getting one fast ruck, but it's getting a quickish ruck and then getting a quicker ruck and then getting a quicker ruck. And before you know it, they've had four or five progressively quicker rucks, which makes it harder to defend. If you can slow the ball down at the first, the second and the third breakdown, whether that be two men in the tackle or whether it being uh, a Hamish Watson or a Jamie Ritchie in, on their own, I think that is a key. But it's one of the things that they didn't manage to do against France. And so you couldn't play, you, you couldn't control the way the French played. And I think that's one of the ways they'll hopefully manage to attack Ireland. So stick, sticking with the with the pack, what have you made of the, the Scotland uh, second row so far? And would you be tempted to make any changes for, for Ireland with you know Cummings and, and Gray now maybe back in the selection mix? I, it's a tough position. Obviously, I've played with pretty much all the guys who are in the room. And I think it's a position that there needs to be consistency. I, there's a lot of... Um, to do with the way the game is played, how the line-out is called. And I think the way the, the championship has gone by change, an enforced change to the players because of injuries at the start, injuries during, and it's uh, it's difficult. Um, I, I think they're all really good players. I think they've all got their particular strengths and it, it's a tough decision. And I think that's one of the key positives of Scottish rugby in the sort of recent era is the depth you have in each position. We're talking about this being a difficult, a difficult choice with Johnny, Grant, uh, Sam, and uh, Scott. But then that's not even including the guys who haven't been picked, who are playing regularly for their clubs in the Premiership, or sort of trying to get a look in in Edinburgh and Glasgow. And I think that's something that's missing ten years ago. But that just that sheer depth in particular positions. Um, so I, I know I've kind of avoided the question a little <laughs> bit. Um, it's a tough one. I, I always enjoy playing with Johnny, um, and I think Scott's a great lineout um, operator. But then at the same time, I don't think Grant or uh, Sam have necessarily been sort of done anything necessarily wrong. Um, so it's really, I think, how Gregor and the coaching staff would like to, you know, sort of organise their team, which they think would do that best against Ireland. No, absolutely. And I guess, as you said, look, you've got people like, obviously, even Callum Hunter-Hill um, yeah. down, down with yourself at Saracens, people like Alice Craig at Gloucester, yeah. etc., who, who probably, I would say, 10 years ago, would have been part of, definitely part of the squad and, and just aren't yeah. even getting a look in now, right? Yeah, um, I think there's another guy at Leicester called Cammy Henson. Yeah, well. yeah. But like, there's a lot of young second rows coming through who are chomping at the bit to get in the squad. Um, and I think that's also pr- just the depth is proving quite difficult. No, absolutely. I guess you've obviously worked a lot with Tooney, both at Glasgow and then kind of 
at the sort of latter end of your sort of Scotland yeah. career, I guess, you know, the, the narrative sort of outside is that sort of Scotland have regressed a little bit, this Six Nations. How do you think he'll be sort of reflecting on the last four games and what do you think he specifically wanted to see from Scotland in this final match? Um, I think what he's consistently talked about is the reduction of errors. Um, and I, I think it's a difficult position. Obviously, like we talked about, there's been a few enforced changes throughout the championship with players being injured, but that's international rugby. Um, it, they often find that, or at least I've found that international rugby is quite fine margins. And while you can talk about performance, the result will often hinge on mistakes. And I think taking those out can really make a good Scotland performance a good win rather than either a performance that just comes short because of the odd mistake and it's a few points here or there or that it's really... <laughs> so basically, it's the mistakes I think you need to cut out. And I mean, that's awfully easy to say looking in because international rugby is very fast and very physical and you're playing against 15 guys who are very good. And I'm obviously looking from the outside in. But the teams that seem to play consistently well in international rugby don't make many mistakes. No, absolutely. I think the, the mistakes and then also one of the things we sort of um, were highlighting this week was just the Scotland penalty count, which I think both versus um, the other teams in the Six Nations, but also versus kind of previous years, it's just been sort of, you know, just three or four more penalties per match, which yeah. again, just it's been kind of draining a lot of the momentum out of kind of the Scotland team and even sort of especially against France, they just weren't able to kind of get out of their own um, yeah. their own half. No, definitely. I, I think the, the France game, I think, you could definitely point to penalty count and to mistakes made by Scotland. But I, I do think taking that game alone, I think, is unfair to many teams. As a, I, I thought France were in a very good place that day. I mean, they looked like the team everyone expects them to look. Um, but that's not to say that Scotland can't be the best version of themselves. Um, the, penalty, the penalty count is obviously where a lot of momentum is lost. It's one of the things that Gregor really used to hit home at when I was in teams coached by him, that, you know, it's, it's a way of keeping the ball ticking over when you've got a kicker like Johnny Sexton, who is quite regular or teams that can kick the ball over for a long way. It, it is a big swing. Um, especially with an Ireland, Ireland pack, which is well organized you could start getting to the point where you spend your time in the 22 defending malls. And while you can have one of the best defences in world rugby, a good balling team is always going to score. It's just a question of how many opportunities you give them. Um, so, like you said, by having penalties, it starts to allow the entrances to your half. It's, it's been interesting to see some of those, although maybe some of the performance has performances and results haven't quite been what we wanted. There have been some good um, individual performances. And I wanted to ask you about Roy Dar. Did you, you know, sort of heard much from, from Glasgow camp, um, from sort of former players uh, there in terms of how good he he was? And, and were you at all surprised as to, I suppose, how well he seems to have taken to international rugby? Um, I think 
I, I mean, talking to guys who are playing at Glasgow, I think the length of what they said is like, he's really good. Um, you know, I, I think it's, I think it was a surprise how well he adapted to international rugby. Sort of in, you sort of saw in the Wales game and then in the France game that he was going to be there for a little while. Um, but it's really, I think, it's just a lot of sort of to show about him himself. Like it's a, it's a mindset that he was, he didn't get overawed by the situation and just played his game, which was being physical and getting stuck in. So, well, it's, it's not a surprise that he's good at international rugby. I think it's a, it's a testament to himself how quickly that was shown and just how quickly he looked like he belonged there especially in a position that has a lot of good operators in Scotland at the moment. And yeah, and, and on that point, obviously Andy Christie uh, getting yeah. his debut against um, France. Obviously, I don't think we've seen too much of him. Um, we're happy to see, obviously happy to see him get in the squad. And what sort, what do you think he can bring to this uh, Scotland team? I think he's a very competent player. He's great going forward. Um, I think he, he's a good attacking back row player and I think he hits well above his weight in terms of defence. Um, it's certainly, I think it's certainly a frustrating position for him to be in. I mean, you look at the people in his position, there's Matt Faggerson, Magnus Bradby at sort of eight and then you start looking at six, you've obviously got uh, Rory and then Jamie and that's without thinking perhaps playing Sam Skinner at six, which happened earlier in the championship. Um, it's a, a rich room of form, basically. Um, I think what he can add differently is I think he can be a good line-out option. I think he is very athletic. He's a, not averse to being a direct ball carrier nearer the ruck, but also is agile enough to be out sort of on the outside 15 channel and not look out of place. Um, you know, he, over the last year and a half, it's, Saracens, you've really seen a change in the way he plays and he, he started to get a lot of game time at Saracens which like Scotland is, is an impressive thing because of the back row players we have there. No, absolutely. absolutely. I, guess, I guess having a, a quick focus on the domestic rugby how, how was it going back to Kingston Park at the weekend? What's that, sorry? Are we going back to Newcastle? Yeah, how was it going back to the, yeah. your old stomping ground? Um, um, it was really interesting. I mean, it's the first game I've played at Newcastle since I left um, 10 years ago. Uh, the thing that was most noticeable, there were so many people there that I still knew. So the co- in the coaching staff and the backroom staff, the doctors, the groundsmen, you know, and they're all really still friendly and there's still a handful of players there that I played with 10 years ago. Um, but like most places I play at the moment, I seem to have played with more of the coaches than the opposing uh, squads. Um, but no, it was, it was good to be back. It was uh, good to get the win. And I think the telling stat about Newcastle sort of luck over the last 10 year period was that Saracens have won 23 games in a row in all competitions against them. Um, I, I actually played in the last time, last game that uh, 
Newcastle won, which was in 2009. Um, but it was good to be back. It was good to see some people I haven't seen for a long time. Um, but it was a bit of a shame to have seen that the club hadn't really moved on. I think there's so much opportunity there as a place, as a culture, the support of sport and rugby. It could be so much more than it was. And I think that was always the dream. And so far, it hasn't reached it. And obviously, you've, you're obviously now at Saracens, I guess. Yeah. Did you... Talk us a little bit about through that sort of t- period where we sort of had the the retirement at um, at Glasgow, and you sort of then was it shift a couple of months later? Sort of t- took up the call to yeah. to play for Saracens in the championship. It was uh, it was six days. Um, <laughs> and I think that going into that 2019-2020 season, I was a bit. I'd had a few pretty major injuries in a row. I, I was getting a bit fed up with rugby. Um, and then I think the pandemic hit and obviously spent a lot of time with my family and I think counting the pandemic is almost another injury layoff because it was a four or five month period with remarkably little ability to train apart from run I think I had one set of dumbbells and a rowing machine uh, provided to me from the club which was great but you can't really train as well as you'd wanted to over that period. And it was already in the back of my mind. And I just kind of thought about quitting while I was ahead. I didn't want to go into my last year if I played another year, sort of 2020, 2021, where I didn't enjoy it and I didn't sort of leave feeling I really enjoyed my career. Um, and so I, I was really happy with my decision. Anyway, I, I got called by Joe Shaw, who's the head coach at um, Saracens, who's also my university coach. When I first went to university, I played with him at Newcastle as well. And basically, they were in the, sort of in the market for an older second row to help the young guys while the Autumn Nations Cup was going on. Would I be keen? And I, 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 sort of, I grew up near Saracens. They're my childhood club. They're going to be coached by coaches that I had always wanted to be coached by since they left Newcastle when I was younger. And it just started out being a year thing and it was too good an opportunity to miss. And one year turned into two and it's now probably time to come home, but it's been an amazing experience. How did you find the, the championship? Um, it's an interesting league. I think the excitement to win and the excitement to play our best rugby I think was there but I think the championship is a very interesting league I think if you take purely the forwards so the scrum and the line out not general play or pick and goes as well I think they are incredibly good and certainly some teams I would put them better than some premiership sides for scrummaging and mauling and probably pick and goes I think where the forwards fall down in comparison is the work around the pitch I think premiership forwards are in general anyway a more rounded player who can play more rugby um, and I think it, it's it's a difficult place to be for a lot of guys at the moment I think COVID really struck, made a lot of clubs struggle um, 
I really enjoyed my time playing in the champ. I, I think that, that obviously helped that we won it and we won quite a lot of games really well. And that always makes the time much better. Um, but I, I definitely don't think the way this is set up at the moment is going to be the best for English rugby going forward. No, absolutely. And I guess obviously it's, it's interesting to see the fact that both Ealing and... Um... Is it Darlington or Doncaster? I can't remember. Doncaster. Doncaster, sorry, have um have had their um applications rejected. I guess it will be. I know they're sort of coming back on appeal, but I guess it's it's that sort of link between the two leagues just doesn't feel quite right at the moment. No, definitely. I, I think um there's you can see a split in the championship teams themselves. So I think you've got maybe four, maybe five who could win the league at the start of the year. Obviously, start of this year, Ealing were very much the favourites, but you know, so Cornish Pirates have played well this year, so have Doncaster, and they're really only those teams that you could even imagine going up in terms of time commitment, maybe challenging a bit, but I don't think they compare to Exeter when Exeter came up. Um, however many years ago that was. Um, I think there's now a split between those teams which are sticking with the semi-pro model and those that are trying to go full-time, even if it, they're not very well paid. Um, one of the interesting approaches I've heard is to make it almost like a, an A-league for the premiership teams or to have some premiership teams involved. Um, but then that's obviously starting to knock on very traditional rugby clubs. If you're looking particularly around the championship at, say, London Scottish and Richmond and Bedford, the teams that have been around professional rugby for a very long time, and I think rugby as a whole in the UK would be lost if, or lose something if they lost those clubs. But I think there's got to be a way of giving younger players in premiership clubs more game time at a higher level. Um, and I think that's certainly one way of doing it. Yeah, and it's it's certainly a challenge that's faced, I guess, by the SRU that that challenge of getting you know young lads in, into sort of enough game time to influence the national team. Obviously, on top of Scotland Ireland happening on Saturday, it's the eighteen seventy two Cup Edinburgh versus Glasgow match on Friday night. I mean, you you will have played in plenty of those. I mean, what is that Glasgow Edinburgh rivalry like as a player? You know, is it? Is it a real proper spitting rivalry or do you know does it feel a little bit I confected? Mean, it's the worst game of rugby that <laughs> I played in like I mean you look at the teams there's certainly a rivalry we're we're all like we're all friends we all or 90 well however many percentage are Scottish qualified and we all obviously yeah. want to play for Scotland so there is obviously that competition but if you look throughout the teams, there's guys that grow up to have gone to school together, played every age group together. They're godparents to each other's kids, or their <laughs> sisters are married to them. Like Scotland and especially Scottish rugby is a small place. So yeah, it's the, there's so much sort of interweaving. I mean, there's lots of players that have played for both teams. There's some guys I know in the past who played for both teams in the same season. Um, and so while that doesn't make it not a rivalry, and so I've, the games where you play against your mates are always a great rivalry because you get to 
lord it over them for the next year or the next however long it is until the next game. But especially when they're over Christmas, before, especially before the artificial pitch got put in at Glasgow, and when Murrayfield had a bit of an issue with the pitch, they became slugfests. Both teams yeah. knew a lot of how the other players were going to play, how both teams played, because it was very similar at times to how Scotland played. And I never thought it was as much of a spectacle as what Scottish rugby deserved. Um, yeah. As, as a player, did you see it, you know, obviously you're playing against people, you know, targeting that Scotland shirt. Did you see it more as a trial game or is that a way that people look at it at all? Uh, I'm sure there is that as well. Um, I'm definitely sure that people look at it like that. Um, I, I think I'm in quite an unusual position of, of second row where normally in every matchday squad, there's at least three of you. Um, you know, and I, I don't know. I've certainly always felt there's been a kind of almost a brotherhood within second rows. I've never been in a squad where second rows hate each other and don't talk to each other. It's almost quite a, you know, sort of uh, a group effort, essentially. So I've never felt personally there's been that much of a like head to head. But obviously, you don't want uh, Gilko running over the top of you or anything. But that would be as much about personal desire as it would be that we're go- both trying to play for Scotland. Um, I, I can't say what it's like for different positions, say, for example, fly halves or wingers, where the, there is only one guy in the squad in your position and it's you or him. Um, but I, the thing I used to most enjoy was playing guys that I obviously knew very well, like Mark Bennett when he first went to Edinburgh. Um, it was enjoyable playing against him. We actually came on at the same time, um, and you have a bit of uh, a bit of banter as you're jogging on and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that sometimes, at least from my point of view, they seem to be a bit of an anticlimax because they just became slugfests on bad pitches back in the day. Well, they'll be on they'll be on the fake pitch at, at Glasgow on on Friday night. Well, have you been yeah. sort of? Following the following the progress of the teams this year, who who do you fancy for that one? Gla- Glasgow at home. It's tough. I mean, so my thing with Glasgow, they have looked brilliant, but also terrible, and it doesn't seem like they've got consistency at the moment. Like they they play really well at times, and they don't. And I think if you get the good Glasgow, I think they're really tough to beat. What I like about Edinburgh this year is you see the way they seem to enjoy playing. I think uh, Mike Blair has done a fantastic job of rejuvenating a squad to enjoy rugby, to play a brand of rugby that is energetic and well, happy, I think is a good way of describing it. And they've certainly come on leaps and bounds. And by no means they're the, um, that is like the finished article, but I think it'd be an exciting fiction that there should be a lot of running rugby. There'll be a lot of people who are aiming as well to try and keep a place going into the end of the season with a lot of like food, you know, the internationals away playing for Scotland. So it'll be a good game that I think there'll be a lot of energy, which will probably mean it's either end-to-end stuff with a lot of mistakes or a very cagey game, but hopefully going for the first. You've um, you've always played a little bit with Mike Blair, and then probably he's been part yeah. of that sort of coaching setup. 
are you surprised by how quickly the SOU have sort of fast tracked him into that sort of leadership position? No, not at all. I mean, he's one of those players you played with and he felt like a coach on the pitch. Um, you know, when he came to Glasgow, when I played with him, he had played something like 200 games for Edinburgh. He had played in France, in Newcastle. He had been nominated for World Player of the Year. His pedigree of a player comes before, like, is, is obvious. Now, admittedly, not every good player is a good coach. Um, but I think the roles he had in coaching before this one has shown his interpersonal skills, which I think is as important as a head coach as your actual rugby coaching. I think the way you manage a squad to work together, because they're undoubtedly, although everyone wants to work as a squad together, there's guys who don't play as much. There's guys who feel hard done by for not being picked for a certain game or and I think it's those things which being such a recent player and playing in many different places, probably Mike has a probably a good feel for that and is able to talk to players in a way which not all coaches find easy. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised that he is doing as well as he is. Um, I think the SIU are trying to push... Scottish coaches and particularly ex-players I think if you look at the Super 6 you've got um, Peter Murchie formerly coaching Aaron he's now moved to Glasgow Warriors and Peter Horn has taken over the head coaching role at Air this year and there's a couple other through that so I think it's they're really pushing hard for Scottish based coaches to be a thing uh, but I'm just really happy for him that it's gone as well as it has in his first year as a head coach and then looking forward to, I guess, looking forward to this weekend. What's what's your prediction for the um, for the Ireland match? Do you do you see Scotland having a chance? Mm. I think looking back at the championship, they've obviously played well enough to win that game. I think you see if they play a good game, they definitely have. But it's all in Scotland's hands. I think. If you play like you start against Wales or play like the finishing against Italy, then I don't think it'll be possible. Um, but if you play with the confidence and the determination it did against England, I think that level of performance will create a good um, a good performance against Ireland, and that. I mean, it's not an easy place to go, but it's a pitch that's set up to play like Scotland, which is fast and direct. Well, let's. Um, no, no, let's let's hope so. I guess I, I think I'm I'm feeling a little bit cynical going into going into this match. I I'm, I, I can't see a Scotland victory, but um, it's. I, mean, uh, I, I I certainly don't think it's the favoured option, but I don't. We're still not in the place where we were years ago where there's certainly times Scott felt like they're making up the numbers. They it, it is it is manageable, it is possible and this group as Scotland can do it. But looking at the game so far, when Scotland have not managed to do what Scotland is doing well and have made silly mistakes like at the start of Wales, like at the end of Italy, 
and through a lot of the French game, we, we as a country can't keep can't give a performance to get that victory. Um, and so going on the performances, I think you have a right to feel cynical, but I'm really hopeful that they can put together that performance that they did at the start of the championship and play well. So I don't think Ireland played well last last week against a really spirited 14-man England. And so it'll be interesting to see how that affects them as a team. Just just thinking back to sort of worst times in the Scottish show, did you, did you pick up the back end of the Scott Johnson era? Yeah. I was there. I got my first cap under Scott Johnson in 2013. Uh, Is that the, was, the South Africa away match? Yeah, South Africa away. It was also Sia Khaleesi's first cap as well. Two uh, legends of the game. Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> Definitely one. I, I think that game, we were a very good team for 62 minutes. And then we just let it slip to a good South African side. Um. But yeah, there were some dark times after that. Well, look, we won't uh, we won't let you relive them too long. Um, thanks, look, thanks for um, thanks for jumping on massively, no massively appreciated, and look, I think hopefully it all goes well for a few at the end of the season, and, and maybe see you in a Premiership final with uh, Saracens. I mean, that would be a good way to finish your career. Hopefully Absolutely, silverware. <laughs> um, especially after retiring, I think it's three times at the moment. Um, my wife is still not a hundred percent trustworthy as me saying that I will retire. Um, so she'll she'll only believe when I'm back in Scotland, uh, sort of in July. Nice, cool. Well, look, hope it all goes well, and um, I'm sure we'll sort of catch up uh, another time. Absolutely great to have Tim on there, covered an awful an awful lot of ground, but somehow Alan always managing to bring it back down to a sort of a negative um, outlook for, for Scottish rugby ahead of Ireland. Matt, do you feel any differently? You got anything positive to say ahead of Saturday? I, I think I might have to join Alan on the, the cynicism front. Um, yeah. Look, I, I think that Ireland at the moment are one of the best, you know, top four teams in the world um, I think they sort of in the end fairly comfortably beat England without really playing that well actually granted there was a, there was a red card um, but you think back to that um, victory over the Welsh and even the way that they managed to kind of front up and handle a lot of the the, the French um, the, the, the French had threw at them and I just I think it's it's just likely to be a continuation of Scotland Ireland games in recent years where Ireland's power game is just so well suited to beating Scotland. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, it, it would be different if we had, if we were coming on off the back of a bit more momentum, but I think uh, it's the end of a pretty like long and quite difficult tournament for Scotland. So I'm, I'm, I'm not that hopeful, sadly. But last, last, was it not? The last time Ireland were going for for a Grand Slam, obviously they're not going for a Grand Slam this weekend. That was when Parksy knocked it over at Croke Park in in 2010. Could we see, could we see the bounce back? I think were they not just going for the win at that point? Was it just and, the win? Yeah, and uh, yeah, P- Parksy scored that unbelievable. Um, we, spoiled, um, the, we did spoil the party for France last year as well. 
I mean, they had to yeah. beat us by like 25, but still. <laughs> there, was, there was that game at Murrayfield, I think it was under Cotter, where Ireland were going for the Grand Slam and they basically had to put as many points as possible on us. It was it was on points difference, and yeah. they duly they duly obliged. Oh, they put and like forty past us, didn't they? For, forty past us, and I remember Hogg crossed at one point and celebrated like he'd scored, and it turned out he's lipping not the ball out of his hand. That that was a pretty <laughs> big day. It must have been like twenty fourteen or something. Yeah, I think that might have been the same match when potentially Ronan O'Gara handed off Ross Ford to score a try, and I was like, Oh, oh my God. God's sake, this is the worst. <laughs> um, <laughs> When you said I was being negative, I thought you were referencing me bringing up Scott Johnson as uh, <laughs> the ulti- the ultimate Scottish negative bingo. Um, I'm always. We should start doing a series that exclusively talks to people that played under Matt Williams. There's such appetite for like negative yeah. Matt Williams content at the moment. Oh, one hundred percent. There's always <laughs> so many players. The fact is that maybe one in 10 players will be comfortable saying something public on like a social forum. So the fact that there's like multiple players coming out yeah. and making comments. <laughs> yeah, it was like Mark, Marcus Tirolo like engaged with us on Twitter. It was just like Matt Williams is like a complete clown. Yeah, I saw Rui Jackson was saying some stuff on Twitter as well about how he was an absolute joke. Um. <laughs> the, thing, the, thing is, the thing is though, uh, in this Six Nations at least, Annoyingly, Matt Williams seems to have the last laugh because clearly every single week he's basically just like lining up a few lines to say about Scotland. Um, and he, even at the weekend, like, look, the performance wasn't that great, but you can't, sometimes you can't win playing against Italy because the expectations that you should put a cricket score on them. And if you don't, then you're, you're not very good. But just, I think it seems like every single game he's got a new script and some lines to trot out. And I reckon he'll be maybe licking his lips ahead of this weekend. And I reckon it's like, it's like Virgin Sport or something like that, that hire. I reckon like their social media manager must be getting paid by like the click or like the light. <laughs> he's got, he's incentivized. He just like cuts these like damning Matt Williams things. It's just, it's too, the bait is too good for us to resist it though. Yeah, it's like uh, Matt Williams or Shane Horgan criticizing Stuart Hogg. That Shane was... Horgan and Hoggy is like a it's it's beef. Yeah, I know. It's um, Look, Shane, Shane, Shane Horgan was a bloody good player, but gone three Lions tours. Like, yeah, he's a. I think Hogg has gone down as a and in a weaker team than the Ireland that Shane Horgan played for. I think he can pipe down a little bit. Man, this maybe this will get clipped and sent to Shane Horgan. And we'll we will we'll be like we'll be like sort of villains in Irish media circles. That could be quite someone, fun. someone. Maybe that um, Irish troll we had for a while has just making this supercut of everything we've said over the Six Nations in anticipation <laughs> of games, and it's just going to release it, and it's going to be terrible. I, I, to be fair, I don't really like to talk about her. I'm sort of like petrified that she's going to be like waiting for me at Dublin Airport this weekend <laughs> um, well should we, should we do should we do our match point predictors then for for this weekend and use that as a way to sort of to, to sort of finish off um, Matt I'll come to you first you're obviously backing Ireland but do you want to put some put some numbers on that yeah I I, I can't see it being that close to be perfectly honest um, and I think that am I right in thinking that Ireland still have a chance of winning the championship Yes, they do. So, so there'll be, and I think 
I think even last weekend, the fact that they maybe didn't play that well and arguably got dominated a little bit or matched at least up front by by 14-man England, I think they'll be absolutely, they'll be really up for this game. Um, yes. So I can see Scotland maybe keeping it like within a score of 10 points for a while, but then Ireland pulling away by maybe 15. Alan, well, that is exactly where the bookies have got it. Bookies have got Ireland as 15 points favourites. Um, Alan, maybe an Ireland win, but you, is Scotland going to beat the spread? Firstly, I had my first exact prediction of the Six Nations. I had France by four at the weekend. Yeah, which was um, was very enjoying enjoyable. A, enjoying a free pint. Congratulations. Exactly. Um, I think it's... You know, we were chatting about this at the weekend, Matt. You know, there's been a few sort of injuries in the Irish pack. But then you get someone like Sheehan in. And Sheehan's maybe the second best hooker. In <laughs> in the home nations, right? He's like a, he was unbelievable, and then you see James Ryan go off. Yeah. And you've got Ian Henderson coming on in the row, and I just think even with a few of those kind of big name Irish player Irish forwards out, I just can't see a world in which that Scotland pack manages to get parity. Now, hopefully, I'm wrong, but I think if I was a betting man, which I am, I would have. Ireland, but just misses spread. I think I'm going to go for sort of 12, 13, 13 points. Yeah, I wish I, I wish I could come in with a with a, a better prediction than that, but I, I I can't see it. I think the fact that the championship is still at play. I also just think Ireland love beating Scotland, and I think the team like that'll be like a little like cherry on top. I think like Ireland above any other nation in the Six Nations looks at Scotland as like they take a little bit of joy out of beating us, whereas the rest of them probably look at us and they're like. We should beat Scotland. I think Ireland enjoy beating us. Um, Agree. So yeah, I think. I think I'm. I'm. I'm a little bit nervous. I think it could be bad. And, I'm, um, yeah. yeah, you're there. Yeah, well, I'm in Ireland. I'm also quite the the sort of silver lining of Ireland beating Scotland is that I'm going to be then in this sort of weird dynamic where I'm in what is a very rural Irish pub, and I imagine everyone in the pub will then be supporting England, which will be almost like the first time that's ever happened in any sort of sporting context. <laughs> yeah. But ultimately, obviously, if Ireland win, they need England to beat France to win Six Nations, right? So, um, no, we'll see. So, should be a very, be a very is, interesting afternoon for you. Is, is there a chance that with ultimately nothing on the line here, Scotland pull off like a, a complete one-off win? I mean, they, like, I, look, I don't think it would happen. I think the, the chances are very small, but you probably would have said the same thing about them heading to France or England in the last year. Yeah. it's, it's I guess thinking about like, maybe focusing on that forward pack, is there any changes that we make yeah. that we think we would help in that regard? You know, do we, you know, even though he might not have the fitness, do we think Johnny Gray is someone that you would just ship right in because, you know, you know a top drawer, 50 60 minutes from Johnny Gray is kind of better than than anything any of the other second rows can give you even though there's a risk there. I think I'd like to see them play stick with Darge and Watson. Um and almost I think in that selection you're you're admitting that you're not going to try and completely match Ireland's power game. Um but you're going to kind of back yourself with the breakdown. 
But I think if you do that, then you maybe need to have as much heft as possible in the front five. So that that would point to Gray coming in probably ahead of Gilchrist. I wouldn't so mind seeing that gray, change. Gray and Skinner. Yeah, exactly. Um, which I think just gives you that like combination of work rate and size and also a combination that have played together at club level. No, I'd, I'd, but I'd, I'd like, think I'd like might, it. <laughs> those changes might be completely academic when we're just scrum and line out getting absolutely pummeled and we can't get any ball. Yeah. I guess we're, we're doing this a little bit backwards, but I suppose if you talked about forwards there, would you make any changes in that back line? Obviously, we've chopped and changed at centre an awful lot, or do you think we will see Johnson and Harris in the midfield again? I was going to say, I mean, I'd, I'd really like to see Rory Hutchison be given a go because he's playing so well. But I appreciate that's that's not an option. Um, so yeah, no, I think I think Sam probably keeps Sam Johnson in. I think he did enough. Him and Harris looked relatively um, sharp at the the weekend. Stain maybe was okay, but didn't sort mm. of light it up too much. I wonder if they will bring Kinghorn in. Yeah, if, it, if he's available. Yeah, yeah. Or, uh, yeah, I feel quite bad Carl Rowe not getting a shot, but maybe away to Ireland isn't the best place to 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 have your debut. How about this narrative? Jordan Edmonds takes the place of Carl Stain, lines up against <laughs> who who been lines up against Andrew Conway in his first ever professional game of fifteens. I was going to say he's much. never played like a professional fifteens, has he? Because like, it was he played super six and then. Sevens. Sevens. And just for context, Jordan Edwin's Burham Your Bears Super Six plus Sevens player has been called up into the Scotland squad. Oh yeah, we're we're really the, the fact that we had Swinner in the middle, we've sort of we've, we've thrown ourselves off here. <laughs> um but yeah, you'd love to see it. Yeah, remember the name, Jordan Edmonds. I guess you know, even though we obviously got the win and it, they had a few moments, it still feels like Price and Russell just haven't, you know, outside a couple of moments, haven't really fired in these first in these four matches. No. Um, Not at all. And you know, we, we appreciate Price had his sort of interception, a few sort of nice, nice little breaks, but actually, his kind of core game, which has sort of been so good over the last few years, and obviously got on that starting spot with the Lions, still was off, and and Russell again had some nice moments, but again, just wasn't able to stamp his authority, even against the yeah. sort of Italy team. So I think actually, if there's anything that turns everyone, it would be to have that 9-10 axis sort of purring. I want to yeah. see it purr, all right? You want to see it purr, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't think of a better way to, to end the podcast on on that, on, uh, on Price and Finn purring away. Um we will obviously ch- keep an eye on our social channels for the team announcement, which will be coming on Thursday. Um, we will see if we get any juicy leaks between now and then. That's on at Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast. Um, we'll also be putting some stuff out on Instagram. That's at th- um, un- Thistle underscore rugby underscore pod. And you can always subscribe to our newsletter on Substack. That's Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast on there. Um, and then we will be back next week, win, lose or draw to do a little bit of a wrap-up of the whole Six Nations and ask that question, which we ask every year, where the hell are Scotland now? Um, we'll also probably be doing some live tweets for the 
1872 on Friday night. So there's lots to look forward to. Just get on there. Follow us um, and we will speak to you very, very soon. Cheers. Cheers. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.